Both on the men's and women's, I actually think there's more early round interesting matchups, popcorn matches that we like to call it in the locker room than you usually see. I mean, I mean, Sock Golbis, Florian Meyer, who won in Holly, play rematch against Team, who he beat along the way. So you have some have some really interesting draws early on that you know, aren't always the case with with 32 seeds. And then same on the women. I mean, you have with Safarova playing Maddox Sand. Right. Some really interesting matchups, not just in the first round, but also possible third rounds and so forth. So, it's uh, there's a, there's some good some good early round matches. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. We're tracking this on a Friday, shortly after the. Wimbledon 2016 draw was released. Our guest this week is former player, coach, ATP board member as of this moment. You'll hear more about that later. Tennis Channel commentator, Southern California resident, Justin Gimmelstab. We will go through the Wimbledon 2016 draw, talk about a few issues. Apologies in advance for the audio. Justin is in the UK. This was right before his ATP vote. Uh, I'm still in New York and head over tomorrow. So that's uh, our disclaimer, but um, we talk about Wimbledon, talk about Novak Djokovic, a number of other current tennis topics. We'll continue this on the air on Tennis Channel starting Monday. But uh, without further ado, let's bring him in to talk about Wimbledon 2016 in advance. Justin G., thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Of course. Always fun to spend time with you. Likewise. Let's, let's just go right to uh, storylines in the draw itself. And I think if you were going to uh, sum up the men's side, it, it basically boils down to: Does anyone beat our defending champion, winner of the last uh, four majors, Novak Djokovic? It's going to be a tough ask, but of all the majors, I do believe this is the one where he's most vulnerable. More so because the margins are smaller on the grass, and if he runs into a super hot player that's very aggressive and can play red line. Uh, tennis, yeah, anyone would be vulnerable, even a player that has dominated as much as Djokovic has uh, last year, play like, for example, Kevin Anderson, who was up two sets to love against him. I mean, I think those are the type of players uh, that could make him a little bit vulnerable, the ones that could take the racket out of his hand. Um, fortunately, you know, if you look at his draw, he's got a pretty advantageous draw. He does have some big hitters in his quarter, Anderson, Raonic, um and then obviously Federer is in his semifinal. I, mean, I think that's a huge storyline as well. I think this tournament will give a, a big indication of where Roger's at and how competitive he could be at the highest level because of all the majors. There's no doubt that this is the one that he, he has the best chance of winning, not just this year, but throughout the remainder of his career. So when I look at Djokovic's draw overall on his half, the players that I feel like um, he's most vulnerable to are Anderson, Roundage, Federer, and, uh, and Chilich just because of their aggressive style and their comfort on the surface but he's a he's such a he's a he's a prohibitive favorite you're you're taking him against the field i would take him uh against the field I and mean, i only think there's a handful of guys that could beat him but um this one this is this is the big one i, I believe if he does win this one he will win the u.s open and, and win the slam because winning best at a five against him on hard is uh is a huge challenge but uh if he gets through this one i i believe strongly that'll win the slam you see Raonic in his quarter who uh of course has a new a new voice in uh in his box maybe in his head as well um 
what what is the impact of bringing in a coach like that? I mean, we, we've seen a couple players do this in different situations, sometimes short-term, sometimes long-term. Do we do we overstate that? I mean, what, what is John McEnroe telling Milos Raonic at this stage in the game? I think we overstate it at times, but I have to say, I mean, I broadcasted the whole week in Queens uh, in the studio for Tennis Channel, and I was really impressed. Now, it's tough to make the direct correlations in such a short period of time, but there is no doubt that Raonic – looked to be coming in more, looked to be using a slice back and more, looked more comfortable transitioning. His net coverage was better. I mean, it's interesting when you think of their games are such so contrasting, their personalities are so contrasting, but the things that McEnroe excelled at so much and became so, and was so natural at how seamlessly he transitioned to the net, how soft his hands were, his anticipation, uh, his ability to use his touch and, and be a presence even though he wasn't half the physical specimen that Raonic was, um, it seemed like there was, there was some, uh, some things that translated immediately. And, um, and Raonic is so professional and he's such a sponge. He loves information and he always, he's so professional and he's looking to improve every day. It seems like um, there's a lot of value there. And obviously, look, John is such a charismatic, powerful presence. Um, there's no doubt that he'll have a, a huge influence. And Raonic played great in Queens. I mean, the guy did not lose serve. He was up 7-6-3-0 against Murray in the final. Didn't lose serve until 3-1 up in the second. And Murray had a clean winner on a first serve on the ad court wide. I mean, Raonic almost ran away with that tournament. It took an incredible effort by Murray to beat him. Um, but once again, it's, it just adds amazing storylines for people like you and I to, to have a murray Roundage final and a McEnroe-Lendl final going yeah, on right, at the same right, time right. is great for the sport. You mentioned Federer, who, uh, you know, he, he beat Djokovic at the O2 in November. He has a very respectable Australian Open, and for multiple reasons, not least a knee injury that was uh, sort of a fluke injury, we haven't heard much from him. What, what, what are we expecting, and how much, if this is a disappointing performance, uh, how concerned do you become? Well, I was surprised that he lost to Team and Zarev, frankly, but he hasn't played a lot of matches. He hasn't been that healthy this year. Um, he did get a lot of matches in on the grass, which is helpful. Take this week off to regroup and recover. Um, he's, got a, he's got a pretty advantageous draw. I mean, Doug Apolov is always a little bit of an... He's always dangerous because he's so talented, such a great athlete, such a big hitter. Uh, he has Jill Simone in his section. Um, he's on Nishikori's quarter. I, I'm not overly concerned. I, I, the player that most concerns me in Federer's half is uh, Chilich, just because he hits the ball so big. But I, I do, I fully expect Federer to, especially with best out of five, playing here women, being comfortable, having won seven times. I, I do expect there to be a, a Federer-Djokovic semifinal. Um, but it, look, father time is undefeated. And um, how Roger's knee holds up, how he moves. I mean, his movement on the grass has always been such a strength. Right. Um, and any issues with any lack of stability or any um, lack of comfort or any um, uncertainty in terms of the movement really exposes exposes itself significantly on the grass. And, and a big part of Roger's game is his movement and being in position to execute his shots because he plays a very aggressive style. It just it doesn't look that way because he has such great technique and balance. All right, Justin, hold that thought. You are a basketball fan. I am a basketball fan. The NBA draft was just last night. We all know that the Cavs are the NBA champions. LeBron, in what is only described as a biblical story, has fulfilled his vow to Northeast Ohio. It's been a roller coaster ride. 
Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver have been in the front row with their arms up in the air for that roller coaster ride. One of the worst analogies in sports. Um, but they have one more episode left for Open Floor, their playoff podcast. You can find it at si.com backslash podcast or search for Open Floor on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. How different does this draw look if we're playing best of three? I mean, you, you, you mentioned guys redlining. You mentioned a guy like Chilich. I mean, I, I feel like anyone can get hot for 45 minutes, but over a best of five, it's a much different calculus. How, how different do you think the draws of these majors look if we're playing best of three? versus best of five. Totally. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, especially here, nowhere nowhere more than here. You would hear top players would want nothing to do, and generally top players don't want anything to do with best out of three in majors in general because they want a bigger sample size. I mean, could you imagine having to play someone like Ernest Golbus in best out of three in the yeah, second Kevin, round of Wimbledon? You I mean, who Kevin would Anderson. Want, right. who, would want to deal, who would want to deal with that? Or even a Nicholas Mahout or a Karlovich or an Isner. Um, I mean, Lucas Russell. I mean, who would who would want to deal with something like that? Uh, so, Jules Mueller. I mean, it's Sam Groth even. I mean, and, it's, and, it's, and the thinking is it, what the draw over, would look much different. And, and the thinking is that best over five, those guys eventually sort of come off the boil, and the superior play. It's like coin flips, right? I mean, yeah, it's just like it's just it's just math. It's just right, law of averages. Right. It's just the longer the longer time you have, the longer the law of averages kicks in. Give me some. Uh, I mean, we. we Jamie, my producer, and I, we were talking about the draw a little bit, and you know, T- Taylor Fritz uh, comes within a, a few kooky points of winning the juniors. Now he comes back this year as a uh, as, as a big boy in the uh, in, in the men's draw and gets Stan Wawrinka off the bat. Obviously, people are talking about Kyrgios Stepanek. Any other first round matches that jump out of you? Well, I think there are. I mean, if both on the men's and women's, I actually think there's more early round interesting matchups, popcorn matches that we like to call it in the locker room than you usually see. I mean, I mean, Sock Golbis. Um, Florian Meyer, who won in Holly rematch against Team, who he beat along the way. Um, as you mentioned, Vavrinka Fritz, Isner Bagdadis, even though John has dominated him in his head-to-head. Kyrgios Stepanik, uh, and then some very interesting possible matches. Rasalk Sam Query is a very interesting match. Shardy Balfis is a very interesting match. Um, so you have some have some really interesting draws early on um, that. You know, aren't always the case with with 32 seeds, and then same on the women. I mean, you have with Safarova playing Maddox Sand. Right. Um, I mean, you have some uh, Allison well, Risk playing Vinci. Wozniacki. Uh, Wozniacki, yeah. Kuznetsova, right. um, Shelby Rogers, Lasicki, Mikhail Hanchikova. Um, so Muguruza and Georgia, I think, is quite interesting. Uh, Nicole Gibbs and Flipkins. Uh, I mean, you have some some really interesting matchups, not just in the first round, but also possible third rounds and so forth. So, it's uh, there's a, there's some good some good early round matches. Have you have you been on the grass? Have you played since you've been over there? I haven't I had it indoors. Um, I was hoping to try and get on there yesterday. I've been a little bit busy with with board meetings and my election in about twenty minutes for my board seat. But uh, it's today's a beautiful day. It's been pretty rainy here, but the facility looks incredible as always, and this place is just just magical. I hear David Cameron's going to resign if you don't hold on to your board seat. Um, <laughs> what? Um, but but seriously, what? I heard um, Johnson. I heard the, the the Boris Johnson is after it. Yeah, exactly. Um, talk about the conditions, though. Have, have we? Do you think we've overestimated um, how the grass has been slowed down? I mean, what 
what, what do you make of Grass Course Tennis in 2016? Definitely not. I mean, go back and YouTube video of Wimbledon 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago, 15 years ago, and see. I mean, you couldn't stay back. And, you, I mean, now it's now – it's, the part about Grass Course Tennis is, is the movement, the way the ball moves off the grass, the contours of the grass, the way you could use the grass on different shots. But in terms of the amount of tennis that's played – in grass court tennis is such a so much more than it ever used to be. I mean, there used to be so few shots hit, um, and there's just there's just no. It's just a, it's a different it's a different form of grass court tennis. It's it's undeniable. Just go back and look at the videos. But we, we were talking about the other day, and we were saying, you know, you still find different winners, and a guy, you know, Nicholas Mahout's a great example, or you know, Sam, Sam Stoser got to the semis at the French Open. She moves on to grass, and now she's struggling to win games. I mean, it, it does seem as though it still requires adjustment and favors some players more than others. Oh no, there's no doubt. I mean, but you look at the shot production, you look at players that are their games adjust quicker. It's players that could use the slice that transition better to the net. But um, the other players, those players always would have been successful in grass. The difference is you have a lot more players come into the fold that now could play in grass. I mean, you never would have seen a result where Cuevas, you know, could have beaten Jill's Mueller on grass like he did in, right, in Nottingham. Right, right. You know, it, it, that just never would have happened. I mean, that it, it, you have a guy who's a pure clay quarter who's against a guy who's a pure fastball player. It just it would it wouldn't have happened. Um, so it's much more homo- homogenized, but it doesn't mean the surface doesn't still favor certain players or certain players don't adapt better or quicker or more easier or more, more easily. All right, hold that thought. This is a reminder that on the SI Media podcast, my college Richard Deitch always has – an insightful and entertaining guest this week. It is Washington Post and ESPN magazine writer Eli Saslow. Eli will talk about how he made it to the Pulitzer Prize from his humble beginnings as a high school volleyball reporter in the Maryland suburbs. I thought he was from Colorado, Jamie. Is that not right? Um, anyway, we all start somewhere. And Eli started as a high school volleyball reporter, we're told. Again, that's the SI Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. And at si.com backslash podcast. Again, that's Eli Saslow with Richard Deitch. Let's uh, let, let's talk women for for a bit. Okay. Um, yeah. is, it, is it time to stop assuming Serena's going to win every major? It is time to stop assuming that. But that but to counter that, you, she is still the hot, the odds-on favorite every year at every tournament as well. I, there's and you look at her draw, and you know there's some interesting. Storylines at her draw, she could have a rematch against Heather Watson. She could have a rematch against Miladinovic, who uh, had that good match with her at the French. Right. And Heather Watson was within a couple points of beating her last year. Sloane Stevens is in her section. I think actually Coco Vandeweghe is a dangerous sleeper of mine. I think she has a good chance to get to the quarters. She's in Kvitova's section. Um, and I'm a big believer in Madison Keys. I mean, I just, I obviously, I've, followed her closely since she started working with Lindsay. Um, I called some of her tennis last week when she won. Um, obviously she put one on the clay and she's just, I think she's the second greatest, second best female talent in terms of ball striking and athleticism. It's just a matter of how much she lets herself play. Um, but I would love to see, and it'd be amazing for the sport. If you could have like a, a Madison keys, Mugu semifinal. Uh, I mean, and I don't think it's, it's, it's unbelievably unlikely. What, what do you mean by that? Because I've heard that I've heard that before. I've heard other people say that about Keys letting herself play. Well, just obviously, we all deal with nerves, or we all deal with 
expectations or, or whether it's injuries or mentally or, or just shot selection or whatever, there's numerous parts of it. But with the overall concept of letting yourself play, just being relaxed enough where your, your talent and your true potential comes out uh, as opposed to, you know, sometimes we self-sabotage or, or create uh, obstacles that don't allow us to, to reach our potential or play up to our potential or do anything up to our potential. I was listening to a discussion about soccer, and uh, the point was raised that until there's a great, great player from the U.S., it, it's going to limit how much we, we may, you know, fo- follow this this Euro 2016 and the, the Champions League, and um, it, it may be on in the bars, but until there is a great, great player from the U.S., it's going to sort of temper enthusiasm in the United States. We like our own. We, we like Americans to cheer for. Are, are we past that in tennis now? Or do you think there is still this thirst and this starvation for an American champion after the Williams sisters that's necessary to sort of have tennis get to that next level? Or or is 10, 12, 15 years of, of no American champion sort of inured us and tennis is now officially global? I think it's all of those, actually. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's all those. Tennis is officially global. I think we are conditioned to the fact that it's so international and that we embrace and accept and could enjoy uh, great champions from other countries, but make no mistake about it. We want our own. We, we expect our own. We want our own. And in the sport would, no matter how healthy it is, it would be more healthy and more exciting and more entertaining and more valuable if there are more American champions. There's no doubt about it. And I fully believe on the men's side, there will be, it's going to take a little longer, but you have a great generation coming up. Um, and, I uh, I fully believe that Madison Keys should be there for the women. Madison Keys now uh, a, a top ten player as of a week ago. What what do you think about this men's? I mean, I, I saw Francis Francis TFO failed to qualify. Fritz is firmly in the top seventy five now. Uh, has has the misfortune, like we say, of drawing Stan Wawrinka off the bat, but um, he's he's made some quick adjustments since going pro. What else do you see? We we keep hearing the cavalry's coming, but. Uh, Drill down a little more. I mean, what, what do you see among these four or five guys we're all talking about? Well, one that does, isn't getting talked about as much because he's been injured, unfortunately, is the one who won Junior Wimbledon here last year, Riley Opelka, Opelka who yeah. beat uh, Fritz in the semi. I mean, I, I love his game, especially on this surface. Unfortunately, he's been injured. Um, but I think it's – look, you're not going to see one player jump out more so than you saw Fritz, and I believe Fritz will be a top-ten player uh, for sure. But when you look at Tommy Paul and TFO, uh, Kozlov, um, there's a lot of really, really good players, and it's just going to take them probably a little bit more time, and, and that's a pro- byproduct of what the, where the sport is at and also uh, you know the type of games they have and so forth. But it's, there's some real positive storylines for sure. Expand that globally. Z- Zverev, Team Curios, other uh, f- five years I from now, there. I, oh, love, I mean, there. I don't know that I could. I don't know that there's a more of a sure lock in the sport in a long time than there's been with Zarev. Uh, team to see him adjust other surfaces as quickly as he has has been impressive. I mean, Kyrgios, I believe, has the physical talent to be number one in the world, but we all know the the variables and X factor with him, both good and challenging. Um, Torch, I think, is a really, really good player. I would put him in a little bit below the others in terms of upside talent, but also I would put him right there in terms of professionalism and the guy's going to be a top-tier player for a long time just based on his physical skills, his technical skills, and his 
his desire to compete and his professionalism. Um, and I think Fritz could be an absolute superstar. All right, last question before you go to your election. Um, if, if if Djokovic and Serena are not winning it, yeah, who is? Are well, until last week I thought Federer was the number two favorite, um, but now actually I think it's Murray. Um, I think actually he could do some things to Djokovic on this surface uh, that would be more impactful than any other surface. And we saw here at Wimbledon in the final a couple of years ago, Djokovic has improved some of those things that Murray took advantage of, mainly the use of being able to defend the slice backhand, Djokovic to serve is better. Uh, but I still think if Murray plays his best, this is the best surface for him to beat Djokovic. And I think that he would have a chance. I think he would be the number two. Um, and I believe that if it wasn't Serena, um, I believe that it would be someone, you know, a huge hitter. I think it would be someone like uh, Muguruza or Keys uh, again, I think, so, or Kvitova. I mean, that's a, a lot of people, but I'd probably put it, right. I'd probably put it to, uh, I put them all about the same, Mugu, Keys, and Kvitova. I also want to say one thing, looking at the draw, and I know I'm incredibly biased and I get hammered about it all the time, but actually this this is going to be the year that Isner makes his run. I, I like his draw. I think that John has a, a very good chance to uh, to be playing Murray in the quarterfinals. So I, he's another another sleeper of mine. I, he's, he hasn't had a great year. He's lost a lot of close matches. I wouldn't be surprised if he if he broke through here and got to the uh, got to the quarters and played Murray. What, what real, real quick? What impact does losing those close matches have on a player? Because, because I mean, it's, it's almost eerie. I mean, you start seeing ghosts, and you start developing scar tissue, and and but the thing with John is he could turn it around just as quickly. And he, there's no one in the history of the sport that has played tennis with as as close of matches as often as he has. Right. And he could flip it quickly, but it, there is no doubt, uh, both from my time with him and just also just my experiences myself and all players. There's, it's real. I mean, having when you lose a bunch of close matches, it's, you know, it weighs on you. But there's only one way to to get through it, and you just <clears throat> you just power through it, and you just have to give yourself the best chance and focus on the things you can control. The, all the cliches, but it's true. And but as you know in sports, that winning breeds confidence. Confidence breeds winning. The absence of of them, you just have no choice but to put your head down and just try and just do whatever you can, scrape, dig, claw to get the momentum and and get the 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 positive the ball rolling in a positive way all right go uh go win your vote in a uh post-brexit uk see in a few days <laughs> i'll see you soon see you thanks right. for having me on thanks buddy all right that's our tennis podcast for this week i'm john wertheim that was justin gimmelstab our producer as always the lovely the talented jamie lasanti we will be continuing with these topics and seeing how wimbledon 2016 unfolds In a few days, starting with first ball on Monday, we'll try to do another podcast or two from the All England Club. Thanks again. Your suggestions, as always, are welcome, as are your guest suggestions. We try to take as many of those into account as possible when we can arrange it. Again, apologies for the audio. As you could tell, Justin was heading off to his ATP vote. Uh, Busy times for him, busy times everywhere. We're eager to see how Brexit, which is... uh, dominating our social media feeds this morning how brexit will manifest itself at wimbledon but uh until next time enjoy the tennis from the all england club thanks for listening and talk to you in seven days 